0: As Bailey and I were talking about the music that she and Susan might play today, we talked about how that music and my words could interact and, and, and play it along with each other. And the songs that Susan and Bailey have chosen to share with us are story songs, really. The songs of Charles Ives and the poets who, who wrote the words and so as I was thinking of a title for this particular platform, rather quickly, I thought of the phrase the stories of our lives. And it resonated for me, it kind of sounded like a good title, you know, the way those things do. Mary and I spend really hours coming up with good titles, <laughs> because we're sure that it's that four letter phrase that will get you to come on Sunday morning. <clears throat> so it sounded, it sounded like it would be a good title, and I realized only later, after we had gone to print, that it was because it was sort of close to another phrase that many of us have bouncing around in our heads, the days of our lives. (laughs) So this is not a platform about how life is like a soap opera. (laughs) Certainly it's not about how our own lives should have more dramatic pauses in them, although I actually think maybe it would make things kind of more interesting, add to the general enjoyment. Peter, be prepared, Peter is my husband, this week I may be (laughs) late to pick the children up at daycare. (laughs) Could you do it instead? It is not hard, actually, to see the similarities, dramatic pauses aside, between soap operas and our lives. Soap operas are called, after all, by the people who watch them often, my stories. They're the modern version, I think, of the epic, the saga, you know, the story seen from a long view enough time to get to know the characters, enough time for them to discover their long-lost twin sister and find out their mother is their cousin, and marry at least five times, although ideally to know more than three people, so that there's some extra. Human beings need to hear stories, to watch them, and to tell stories. I remember so distinctly one of the first things I learned in a preaching class in seminary, That paradoxically, the best way to get at a universal truth is to tell it through the personal. To invite people into a particular story, a particular experience, in order to tell a deeper truth beneath it. And all of religion, I think, is really set up with that idea in mind. You know, the idea that we get to the deeper truth through stories. There are stories, of, of course, all through the Bible, both the stories of Exodus and the Jewish people and the Hebrew Bible, and also in the New Testament, and even in the way that Jesus talks in the Bible, you know, always through parables, which are really just stories with a particular meaning, which might just be all stories, actually. And then the stories and epics and myths of all of the other religious traditions out there. The importance of story at the heart of it. Within the humanist tradition, you know, we sometimes have a fear, I think, that we're a tradition without a story. That we don't have that book that we can turn to full of the stories written down of our people over the centuries or over the millennia. And there's always lots of conversation and rich, good conversation about what our story might be. That it might be the majestic story of evolution, of gases and fire and light exploding, of everything held within this tiny little seed at the start of the universe. Or that it might be the story of the long arc of justice. You know, the story of human dignity recognized in more people, in more ways, ever expanding over time. Or it might be the story of human diversity and of common humanity. Those two things held in balance with each other. The ways that we discover every day were more and more different. And the ways that we discover every day were more and more the same. That neither of those things is true without the other. And all of those are great stories, big stories, But for me, the best stories in the humanist tradition, and maybe just in general, are the littler stories. The ones that we tell about ourselves and our own lives. We tell stories at West here of our history, stories that resonate with humanist values to our children, but also to ourselves. And we tell our own stories. We tell those stories in community sharing. So often, folks will, will talk just as Alex did, about the, or Laurel did, about the importance of, of hearing all of those voices on Sunday morning. The different stories that we share with each other over the course of a Sunday. We share those stories in our dialogues and the identity groups from many years ago and the religious dialogues that are happening now. We share those stories actually in capital campaign visits. Many of you have met Glendon, our capital campaign consultant, who can tell a good story. (laughs) But the thing I like best about Glendon is that I think he really believes that the best part of the capital campaign is the stories we share with each other. The way that we get to hear those stories when we visit each other and have conversations that we don't have time for on Sunday morning. And it's been part of, the, part of what's come out of the Capitol campaign has actually been a collecting of those stories. Stories just like the one that Susan shared this morning when she spoke. Marty Kaufman and Chris McCubbin have been collecting those stories and, and are looking for a place to put them online so that we can share with each other what West means to us. What those stories are that we carry in our hearts. It's not just humanism, though, I think, that thrives on on the little stories, the individual. Any religious tradition bases itself on the intersection between big stories and little stories. I posted on Facebook earlier this weekend, I was looking for a particular quote about stories that I swear I had seen somewhere in something sometime in the last three weeks. So that's what I put on Facebook. I actually found it. <laughs> Isn't that great? Because, you know, Facebook's a place to tell our stories, too, and people were posting back and forth. But, but in addition to finding the quote that I wanted, I also got uh, suggestions from people about what they loved about stories. And, um, and a Baptist colleague wrote, in response to my post, something that she had tried this Easter at her church. She serves a, a, a very liberal Baptist church in D.C., down in the Chinatown neighborhood. Uh, multicultural and, um, and multigenerational Baptist church, and um, and so this Easter, instead of having a big sermon on Easter Sunday, they read the text from the Bible, and then they invited people in the weeks during Lent. They invited them to to write their own story, stories, and they called the whole thing the Gospel According to dot dot dot. And so people shared their own experiences of resurrection, of renewal in their lives, their stories of hope when all seemed lost. Bringing the big story to the people. The gospel according to any of us. So stories, you know, they're woven into any tradition, any life. But why, I wonder, why tell stories and what kind ought we to tell? I've been thinking about that what kind especially since an article a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times, you might have seen it, it was one of the most emailed for at least a week, I think, by Bruce Feiler, who's the author of The Secrets of Happy Families. And Bruce Feiler wrote about how important it is for families to tell their stories, what he called a strong family narrative. He talked about something called the Do You Know Scale, which was developed by two psychologists in the early 2000s, trying to figure out kind of what, uh, what worked for families, what made families strong and resilient, all kinds of members of families, but focusing especially on children. So they developed the Do You Know Scale. And the, and the questions are things like, do you know where your grandparents were born? Do you know someone in your family who had an illness, and what was it? Do you know the story of your birth? All these questions, these do-you-know questions, and what they found was remarkable. They studied it over a few years, and then... And then September 11th happened, and they realized they had an opportunity to study these children, none of whom were affected individually, but who, of course, were caught up in the national tragedy of that day, to study them again and to see if that resilience continued. And indeed, they found, and I quote, that the Do You Know scale was the best single predictor of children's emotional health and happiness. Isn't that amazing? Just if they knew the answers to those questions, if they knew their family's story. Bruce Feiler, as he looked at that data and considered what it might mean, thinks that it's about being part of something larger than oneself, about the bigger story. And we've known that in some ways for so long, haven't we? The psychiatrist August Napier said, in each family a story is playing itself out. And each family's story embodies its hope and despair. We all have those stories within us. So part of the study was looking not just at that scale and at the importance of telling stories, but the kinds of stories that families tell about themselves. And it turns out there's, there's three categories of stories that families tell. Some families tell their own story as the ascending story. We started with nothing. Look where we are now. And some families tell their story as a descending story. Once we had everything. And look where we are now. But some families some families tell the oscillating story. Isn't that I love that word anyway, the oscillating story. We've had ups, we've had downs. And we've stuck together as a family. And it turns out that that's the best kind of story to tell. Luckily, I imagine it's also the truest story for many of us. We've had ups, and we've had downs, and we try to stick together. And so so that's what Bruce found as he looked at this do-you-know scale, and as he looked at the stories that families tell that the more we can tell our children and tell ourselves this story of a family that's had ups and downs and stuck together, the more resilient they become, the biggest single predictor of emotional health and happiness. I've talked a little bit before about narrative therapy, which really is right along these lines. It's a kind of therapy that focuses on how we tell the stories of our lives. That, that says we have choices in how we tell our own story, in what we focus on and how we describe it to others and to ourselves. And I think Feiler would agree with that concept. He wrote this at the close of the article in the New York Times. When faced with a challenge, happy families, like happy people, add a new chapter to their life story that shows them overcoming the hardship This skill is particularly important for children whose identity tends to get locked in during adolescence. The bottom line, if you want a happier family, create, refine, and retell the story of your family's positive moments and your ability to bounce back from the difficult ones. Of course, sometimes the story that you are in, the chapter you are reading at just this moment, feels like it might be the end of the story. Or sometimes we look back on a chapter that has closed, but that feels so brutal, so terrible that we would rather leave the book shut and the story untold. KJ Dell Antonia, a writer who writes mostly about mothering and adoption, asked exactly that question in a blog response to that original article. Her blog was called When Family Stories Are Hard to Tell, and she talked about her own family's stories and her struggle with different experiences of the same story. She has four children, and the fourth was adopted when she was four years old. And so she has memories of that adoption that are different than the memories that her family holds. Del Antonia consulted psychologists trying to figure out, you know, how would you tell a story when it's difficult to tell, when it's not a happy story or a good story, when when there's parts of it that are so hard to hear. And the bottom line that she came away with was when stories are difficult, tell them anyway. Allow for different emotions and experiences, different time and space, the idea that Stories sound different to us even today than they do tomorrow or yesterday. Keep trying different ways of telling them until they are a story that you can tell. But tell them anyway. Maya Angelou once said, There is no agony like bearing an untold story inside of you. Tell the stories anyway. It's true for families, I think, and true for each of us. There's often a story about myself that I've told myself over the years. I've talked with some of you about it in a platform before. A story about myself as a fearful person. When I was a child, I was afraid of dogs and lighting matches and the dark. Those two were unfortunate together. Because if you're in the dark and you can't light a match... You know, it's still dark. So, anyway, dogs, lighting matches the dark and going fast. In a car or on a bike or on skis. And I only did cross-country skiing. So, but going fast on cross-country skis. Downhill was, uh, was out of the question. And so I was afraid of all of these things and afraid, too, to tell that story about myself. Because part of who I wanted to be was someone who was strong. Who wasn't afraid, you know? Well, I worked on those fears little by little. None of them are cured. I'm, I'm pretty good with matches, actually, honestly. <laughs> and some of what I worked on was doing things even though I'm afraid of them, even while I'm afraid of them, to be okay experiencing fear, articulating it and moving forward through it and with it, hanging on to it but still lighting that match. And I worked on telling the story of those fears, too. To begin to be able to tell the story of a person who was strong, but not just strong. Also brave, brave to name my own fears and brave to work on them and brave to tell the story of them. And how I tell that story changes so much how I see myself and how comfortable I am sharing myself and my story with those around me, with you. Salman Rushdie, and this is the quote I was looking for, by the way, that Facebook magically found for me. Salman Rushdie said, Those who do not have power over the story that dominates their lives, the power to retell it, rethink it, deconstruct it, joke about it, and change it, as times change, truly are powerless because they cannot think new thoughts. Power over the story that dominates our lives. We all have those, don't we, probably many stories. And how about in a community, in a congregation? Of course, we want to tell the good stories, those stories that Marty is collecting, the stories of successes, the risks that paid off, the stands we took for justice and won. And there are a lot of those stories here. And there are hard stories, too. Stories of difficult conversations or disagreements, of conflict over direction. And those are stories that bear telling both because they are true and real and because the telling makes them part of our larger story too, just like in a family, just like in a life. The story of a congregation that doesn't always agree, but that keeps talking with each other. We definitely do keep talking. <laughs> and that story helps us when we disagree again, You know, when we have a new challenging t- thing to sort through together. But we remember we've done this before. We remember we've told that story. And sometime we'll tell this story as another chapter in who we are. And like any congregation, we have stories that are hard because they are so tender and so tragic. Because they hold in them losses we still can't quite bear. Spouses and parents. Children and friends lost. Telling those stories, the stories of loss and fear and desperate, aching love. Those are our stories, too. Those are our children and our parents and our spouses. And so we make sure that we tell and tell them again. Tell what those stories mean to us. And some of our stories in our own community's life and in our own lives and our families' lives, some of those stories are still ongoing. They aren't finished yet, you know? You're like in the choose your own adventure part of it. <laughs> Remember those books and you have to figure out which page to go to? I used to, when I read choose your own adventure books, does any, do you know what I'm talking about? Choose your own adventure, okay. Some people do. Okay, so you had, you got to a certain point and then you had to choose what your hero was going to do. Were they gonna fight the dragon or run away? and then you could go to a different page in the book to figure out what happened. And you know, of course, I liked to go to all the pages and read them first (laughs) and figure out which of the alternatives was best, and then I'd pick. (laughs) Turns out that does not work in life. (laughs) Tip for you. So some of our stories, so many of our stories are ongoing. And then maybe it can be helpful to know that somehow, at some point, we will finish this chapter. In my hardest moments, that has been so helpful to me when it isn't clear to me how the adventure will end. And I can't flip ahead and see what's on page 64. I've found comfort in knowing that someday I'll be telling this as a story to someone else. And it will be a sad story or a funny story or probably both But it will be one of my stories. And I'll get to choose how to tell it. And that's it, I think, in some ways. Maybe the most important part. We never get to choose how the stories really end. We don't usually get to choose how they begin, even. But we get to choose how to tell the story. In some ways, I wonder if that isn't the way story is deepest in the humanist tradition in a community like ours. That we get to to choose how to tell the story, that we claim the power of storytelling for ourselves, the power of being co-creators of meaning in our lives. Part of our challenge in any moment, I think, is finding the story that we most need to tell right now, and finding a way to tell it that brings us peace and hope, that fits it in, that integrates it into the larger story of our own lives or our families' lives or our community's lives. That's what those parents do for the children when they tell them the oscillating story of their families. They help them to integrate what's happened before and what's happening now so that when what happens next comes the children have the tools to wrap it in again, to know that by the time they get to the end of that chapter, they'll find a way to tell it that makes sense with who they are and with who their family is. For me, music is always a kind of storytelling. <clears throat> the music we hear today, country music, among my favorite Because it tells stories, and they're not all about losing your truck and your cow and your girlfriend. (laughs) Although some of them are, and it's really a bummer to lose your truck and your cow and your girlfriend. And if it happens, you'd probably want to tell a story about it. (laughs) The songs, you know, that we carry through our lives that come to be stand-ins or symbols for whole chapters of our lives. You know, when you can sum up high school with just one song. And so I leave you this morning with words from a musical, another storytelling, song, singing, tradition, musicals, from the great musical Once on This Island, which is really all about stories. And I hope that these, that these words are true for you, whatever story you most need to tell in your life or to your family. So I hope that you will tell this tale tomorrow. It will help your heart remember and relive. It will help you feel the anger and the sorrow and forgive. For all the ones we leave and we believe our lives become the stories that we weave. Weave well.